Well, great to be here. Great to be here. You know, there's one thing I've always loved talking about. It's, it's about what the Holy Spirit does. I've always loved talking about it because it's been my experience. I'm aware that maybe not all of you, but many of you who are here tonight have been coming together over the last few weeks and going through the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I'm also aware that, of course, this weekend marks the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And tonight I want to take uh, us back into the Lord's Prayer for a moment to one particular verse that you've probably discussed. And maybe what I'm going to say is not new, but I think it is really important that we go back, have a quick look at that, because this particular verse, in, in my understanding, needs Pentecost to become a reality, even though we pray it. We pray this verse and we pray it when we pray the Lord's Prayer, but it needs the power of the Spirit of God that was given at Pentecost for this to become a reality. And it's Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10, and it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, there's a reference here to the kingdom. Uh, in other places in the scripture, you will find it referred to as the kingdom of God or the, the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is exhorting his disciples in that part to pray that the kingdom will come. And, and yet in other places, Jesus says the kingdom of God is among you or the kingdom of God is here. So he's praying that it will come, but he's also asking us to pray and acknowledge that it's here now. So there is a, a, a reality of the kingdom of God, which is at work right now. We're involved in that. But there is also a work for the kingdom yet to come. It's prophetic. And we will enjoy the fullness of the kingdom with the return of Jesus Christ. But in the meantime, part of what God wants is for us to bring the reality of heaven as much as is possible to this earth. And the second part of that verse makes quite an astounding statement when it says, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I cannot say, and neither can you say conclusively, what the will of God is in heaven. But whatever it is, it has got to be something that fits with what we know about heaven. What do we know about heaven? There is no sickness or disease in heaven. There's joy, there's peace, there's wholeness. There's no bondage to sin or to the works of Satan. And this is the point, though. Just as heaven operates under the counsel and wisdom of God in accordance to his will, that is what Jesus wants and he is telling us about here on earth. He is telling the disciples to pray that the will of God, as it's done in heaven, and it's not talking about everything that happens in heaven because, because there's no death in heaven. There is death on earth. What he's actually saying is, is the will of God is done in heaven. And just as it is done in heaven, the will of God needs to be done on earth. So what's the will of God on earth? Well, we could make a long list from Scripture what the will of God is on earth. But here's just a few. It's not God's will that one person should die without meeting and believing in Jesus. It is God's will that we make disciples. It is God's will that we love him and love our neighbor. It is his will that we heal the sick and set people free from the control of Satan. 
It is his will that our homes and our schools and our businesses be places where the presence of God is noticeable, where they are places where he is honoured. It is his will that we bear fruit. And it is his will that we be filled with the Holy Spirit all of the time. Now, the list goes on. I could carry on and make a longer list. Now, as a denomination, we are not growing. We are not seeing things happen in any great and increasing measure in terms of salvation, new people coming into the kingdom. There are signs, and there are small signs here and there, and it is happening in a small way, but it's not happening in large numbers. Now, some of you here will experience the impact of the charismatic renewal in the 80s and the 90s. Now, my observations, because I went through that, and my experience during those decades, two decades at least, was there was a fresh wind of the Spirit blowing. It changed the way we praise and worship. There was the emergence of creative ministries that touched so many people. The old ways of doing things suddenly began to get new life. The old ways began to be discarded as new things came in. Small group ministries flourished everywhere. And in some cases, there was a steady stream of salvations and baptisms unprecedented spiritual and numerical growth in the church that I pastored happened. And it was not anything I could do. It was a work of God. There was a vitality, there was an energy in the church that I had not previously seen or experienced. There was a hunger for the Word of God. You know, it was a It was a special time when many people were filled with the Holy Spirit and stepped out into areas that previously they'd been afraid to. And then, for whatever reason, the charismatic renewal began to wane. And I had pastors talk to me about that and say that the era was over, it was gone. So what happened next? Well, there was a surge in the development and emphasis on community ministries. Churches right across the denominations began developing community ministries and offered support and encouragement and practical help to people. And these ministries, of course, were well accepted by the community. They did a good job. And they got a good reputation for the church to show that it was interested in people beyond its own people. And that was good. But when we look back over the last decade or decade and a half of community ministries, we discover that all the good work, and it was good work, has not resulted in an increase in salvations. In fact, the denomination is facing a continuing decrease in numbers of people who have aligned themselves with the church. Now, as I reflect upon that situation... And I prayed about it before coming down this weekend. There were three areas that God kept bringing up to me. One was this, the place and importance of the Great Commission. The second one was the place and importance of discipleship. And the third one was the place and importance of the Holy Spirit. Now, in the last 12 months, as as regional mission leader in the top of the south, I have seen uh, uh, the beginnings of, of a new, I guess a new increase in the number of salvations in the churches. It's there. What I have also noticed is there is almost 
a complete lack of discipleship in the churches. It's virtually non-existent. And in fact, if you go into somewhere like uh, Mana Bookshop, it's very hard to even find a book on discipleship. And I've got, you know, I've got two granddaughters who, who, well, I've got more than that, but I've got two. One is uh, nine and the other's 13, these two. And the nine-year ring, rings me up, this is uh, about two weeks ago, and she said, Grandpa, when you come to stay at our place, Shakela and I have got some questions we want to ask you. They're wanting to grow in God, you see. And I said, well, can you give me a hint? What do you want to ask about? We want to ask you, she's nine, we want to ask you about the Trinity. Oh, my goodness. And I said, what sort of question are you going to ask? <laughs> and she said, well, if, if Jesus is, the, is God, and he's also the Son of God, but he's also God, how can he pray to himself? And, and so it was, it, and, and it was, you know, just their, their faith is so simple. And I was telling a group of pastors up there, and they all sat forward, and they grinned, and they said, what did you say? What did you say? I said, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> there are so many different illustrations you can use to, as, as, as a picture of what the Trinity is about. The point I'm making was, here are two little kids who want to grow in God. And people, the truth is this, that many of our young people are growing up and they're walking away from God. And in my estimation. The reason mainly for that is that they grow up living on their parents' faith, their parents' understanding of God, and they don't develop their own faith. And I'm going to come back to that later because I believe God is saying something to us as a nation and as churches about that. You know, in terms of the discipleship, when I have an increasing number of people emailing me, adults, asking where they can find some Bible studies to help them grow in the things of God. Now, now you can point people to online resources, which I do. I point them to that. But in my view, it would also be better if they were in a small group talking and sharing and loving one another and journeying together, learning about God, because we can learn so much off each other. I make a mistake... I can tell you I made that mistake, and you learn, and you don't want to make that same mistake. And so there's a benefit of doing stuff together. That's why it's been so good for you to come together and pray. As for the Holy Spirit, uh, it's my observation that many, uh, many whose lives were transformed during the charismatic era have decided this, been there, done that, and have wiped it. And I find that absolutely incredible in light of Scripture. Yes, the charismatic renewal, as we knew it in the 80s and 90s, has gone. But if that means that the place and importance of the Holy Spirit is gone, then I read a different Bible. Jesus gave very clear teaching on the place and importance of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' words, as recorded in John's Gospel, tell us that the purpose of the Holy Spirit... Uh, as it relates to Christian lives. He tells us about that, and we also heard it in the testimony tonight. Jesus told his disciples that when he left, he would send another helper just like him. And that helper would be the counselor, a helper, a teacher, an instructor. He would guide into truth and bring understanding. 
Now, apart from anything else in the Scriptures, it is very obvious from John's Gospel that we cannot do without the Holy Spirit. We cannot. The Scripture also teaches if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you've got the Holy Spirit. But then we come to Pentecost. In Acts chapter 1, we have very clear teaching from Jesus on the place and the importance of the Holy Spirit. Jesus has been crucified. He's been, he died on the cross. He's risen again. He hasn't yet ascended. But following the, the, the resurrection, he's turned up on a few occasions over 40 days to meet with his disciples. Now, on one occasion, he drops by and he shares a meal with them. A meals with them and he, he goes back to teaching again on the place and importance of the Holy Spirit. And you've probably even already heard this uh, partly tonight as well. Chapter 1 of the book of Acts, verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then in verse 8, he says this. But you will receive power... When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Power, witnesses. Power, witnesses. I sense that most Christians actually find difficult witnessing. Don't find it easy to share their faith. Don't find it easy to talk to somebody about their own faith. It says here, Jesus says... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. No, don't try and be witnesses. He's not saying you might be witnesses. He's saying you will be my witnesses. It's almost like once the Holy Spirit has that given you that power, you can't help but be a witness. It's like it's just got to flow out, and it'll touch others. You know, following um, followers of Jesus have the Holy Spirit... But here's the point. Do we have and exercise the power of the Holy Spirit? That is so, so important. And I'm going to say this quite bluntly. This is where I get uptight. I get uptight with people who downplay or even ignore the importance of the Holy Spirit in the church. How can anyone diminish the necessity of the Spirit's evident presence. Not His presence, but His evident presence. The manifestation of the Holy Spirit. I can talk to you and I can say, I have the Holy Spirit. Okay, I have the Holy Spirit because I believe in Jesus. I've accepted Jesus. How would anybody ever know that? I've told you, so you know that. But there needs to be an evident presence, an evidence. There needs to be evidence of what we say we've got. I can tell you I've got a Maserati sitting out in the car park. I haven't. I could tell you that. You wouldn't believe me anyway because you'd just know immediately it's wrong. I could actually say to you, well, I've got a a jazz little one out there in the car park. Well, that's good. But but you're not actually going to know for sure until you see it. You've got to see it to know that it's mine. There needs to be an evident presence. If we say we're filled with the Holy Spirit, it needs to be evident, people. You know, to say I've got the Holy Spirit and be no evidence is to pay lip service to God. 
you know, this group, they were in the upper room and they were praying and I don't know how long they prayed, but what we do know is that they were all still together on the day of Pentecost. And I'm only going to read a few verses because I want to move on here, but I just want to read the first few verses out of Acts chapter 2. On the day, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So they, I don't know whether they would still be there from Acts chapter 1 when they were in that room praying, but they were together. And suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Put yourself in that spot. Let me read it again. You're in this room. You're in this room, all right? Suddenly, there's a sound like blowing of a violent wind. And it came from heaven and filled the whole house where you were sitting. Man, oh man, something would happen to you just sitting in that environment. And then it goes, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came down to rest on each one of them. Imagine that. You're sitting there in this little <laughs> tongues of fire, sitting on the other people there. You'd want to ask someone, is it on me too? Is it on me? You know? And then, then it goes, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. People, the gift of tongues is such a precious gift. I'm not going to apologize for saying that. I believe it. It is so important. It is just so important. You know, it is our prayer language to God where, where you know, our mind can't think of something to say, but our spirit prays and our spirit connects with God. And it's just powerful. And this morning, at this morning at Linwood, we saw a number of people for the first time just receive the gift of tongues so quickly. And God wants to bless us. He wants to equip us to live this life for him. And, you know, it goes on through that chapter. I'm not going to spend more time in there now, but uh, Peter gives them a history lesson of, of what's actually happened. And, of course, there were... People observing who were making fun of them, as you've heard, you know, they're drunk, they've had too much wine. But the impact is the thing that is most important here. The results of the Holy Spirit's presence and power uh, at work, both in that situations and the lives of those apostles, is remarkable. It's remarkable. There was a total transformation in the lives of the disciples, the apostles themselves. There was a total transformation. They were changed from fearful, argumentative, self-serving followers to become dynamic men and women of God who carried the presence of Jesus with them wherever they went. Totally different people. They were confident, they were bold, they were loving, they were caring, they were selfless, they were giants in faith. And the rest of the New Testament continues to be proof of that. The impact upon individuals and whole communities was heard. New churches sprung up, the apostles um, often exhorted uh, the new Christians to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, don't neglect the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. These incredible demonstrations of preaching, teaching, healing, deliverance, leadership, evangelism were only possible because of the place and importance of the Holy Spirit. And this is it. It is no different today. 
And when pe people turn around and say to me, to now, say to me, the charismatic era is over, I suspect they are also saying that the need for the demonstration of the presence of the Holy Spirit is also over. I will not accept that. I will never believe that because if that's the case, count me out. I am never going to stop wanting more of God's Holy Spirit. I am never going to stop hungering after it. I'm never going to stop asking to be filled. The Apostle Paul was a very, very intelligent man who would have made a very astute apologist for the Christian church today. He would have been brilliant to have traveling up and down New Zealand. Man, man, imagine what would happen if the Apostle Paul was wandering up and down here. Very clever man, very wise man. But I've always been fascinated, and we're drawn to a close now, I've always been fascinated by Paul's own comments about himself and his preaching. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says this, starting at verse 1. When I came to you, brothers, and he's talking to the Corinthian Christians, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Listen to this. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. And here's the, here's the real crunch. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but listen, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. That's the crunch. That is the crunch. And people, if we want to see a greater spiritual and numerical growth in our churches and communities and see God's will done on this earth as it is in heaven, then we will need to give greater consideration to the Great Commission, to discipleship, and to the place and importance we give the Holy Spirit. And for that to happen, we cannot, we cannot re relegate the precious Holy Spirit to some quiet corner of our lives and churches. He needs to be central to everything yeah. that we do. Amen. You know, one of the best illustrations I've heard, uh, it's, it's an old one, about being constantly filled with the Holy Spirit, which is what Ephesians 4 tells us, tells us to do. Uh, I'm no Greek scholar, but it's, it's written in the present imperative tense, and it actually means be filled, be filled, be filled, be filled, continue to be filled, be filled, be filled, be filled. It doesn't say be filled, stop. It's continuous. It's a continuous tense. Yeah. And so that's what he wants. And the illustration is this. I have to sometimes, my neighbours go away. Where I live at Parapara, there's a lot of beach houses around us. There's nobody in them most of the year. And uh, one of my neighbours, two away, they're permanent residents like me. Well, I'm not permanent. I'm away so much. <laughs> I, I do live there some of the time. But anyway, when they go away, they say, will you water our pot plants? And... Uh, they go away each year for an overseas trip, and not this year, but one of the other years, I forgot. I didn't forget forever, but I did forget. And then when I went along to water their pot plants, <coughs> they were very dry. Very, very dry. Now, you ladies that are very good at gardening would know the best thing to do is fill a sink or a, something up with water and put it in and leave it there for a while. Well, I couldn't do that. Uh, it wasn't possible where I was. So what I had to do was water the pot plants. Well, when I poured the water off, it ran off. Yep. 
I pour the water off, it run off. Pour water off, run off. Pour the water on, and half of it ran off. Pour some more off, only a little bit ran off. Pour some water on, and it flowed in. You know, we get stale in our Christian life, and we need the water of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes, sometimes we're dry. And sometimes, even when we receive prayer to be filled again, nothing seems to happen. And what we do is we tend to walk away and think, oh, well, just carry on with life. Persist. Persist. Keep asking for the water. Don't stop asking for the water. Because as you keep asking, it is actually coming. It is coming. And you need to keep asking. People, this is what I believe that God has been saying. I believe we are moving into a time of discovery and rediscovery. And in that discovery, it is for people who have never experienced the power of God at work in and through their lives. And so it's a discovery. As it begins to happen, it's like making a fresh discovery. The rediscovery is for people who have actually walked in it before but have let it go. And it needs rediscovered. And God is wanting to do that in our midst so that we are equipped for the season in which we live. And God is also, in your churches, raising up leaders who can teach and release the young children in your congregations to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about adults, I'm talking about children. I believe God is saying, raise up those in your churches who can move in the Spirit and teach children how to do it. And children will pray for healing in a much better way than we do. And it's simply because they have no hang-ups. They just pray and expect God to do it. My son-in-law takes his kids to a youth group. And, and these are the young end of the youth group. They're about 11 to 13-year-olds. And he'd had a, he plays soccer, and he'd injured his ankle that was crook for 18 months, and he walked with a bit of a limp all the time. He went in to pick his kids up one night, and the leader of that group said, Greg, how's your ankle? Just, just being friendly. And he said, oh, it's still the same. And so he said to the kids, gather around and pray for Greg's ankle. The kids gathered round my son-in-law. They knelt down on the floor. They grabbed his ankle. They grabbed his leg. They grabbed his jacket. And they prayed. And he was healed that night there and then. And it's never been an issue again. But that's children. And God is saying that he is going to raise up the children in our churches to be the new ministers. And you know, we have to encourage that. We have to uh, encourage the leaders. And if you have leaders in your church, if you are not one of the leaders even, but if there are leaders of your children's program, pray for them that they will experience the anointing and power and release of the Holy Spirit in their lives so they can anoint and impart to the children they minister to. And you know, it's, that's the future, people. These children need to be taught to grow up and own their own faith. And then when they're 18 years of age and go off to university, they won't walk away from God. They'll take it with them. 
because it's theirs. They'll own it. And they need to walk in the power and presence of God. And we're going to stop and pray. <laughs> we could carry on here. We're going to stop and pray. I, 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 yeah, actually, um, is your keyboardist available to pray? Play, not pray. Well, pl- pray and play. <laughs> and I think what we'll start with, well, there's several things we need to pray for tonight. And I think the first one is, I really would like, uh, if you have never experienced the power and presence of God, to come up.